one of the many proofs that the Bible is the Word of God, the revelation of God to man, not just the thoughts, mere thoughts of man, is its scientific accuracy, the way it's ahead of its time. It's written before this present scientific age, and yet its statements are accurate. Uh, the secular world, of course, does its best to present the Bible as unscientific and against science and in opposition to science. And science nowadays, of course, is highly regarded, quite rightly so. And, uh, and so this has become a, a, right, uh, and a major attack against the Bible. And yet, uh, as something of a scientist myself, uh, I, I'm endeavouring to show that nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible has proved itself again and again to be scientifically accurate. It contains knowledge and insight well ahead of its time in such a way that only God could have known and revealed that knowledge. In fact, the Bible differs from the writings of other religions in this respect, in that it has no unscientific statements. For instance, in the Hindu Vedas, the earth is standing on the back of elephants, which in turn are standing on a turtle, swimming in a massive ocean. And so the earthquakes is when the, the elephants tremble a bit. Or the Greek myths talk about the earth resting on the shoulder of a giant called Atlas. Well, let us go into the next section of this, which is creation and the laws of thermodynamics. Let's go to the very first verse of the Bible, which is a major scientific statement, a statement that has, that it has testable, uh, makes a testable statement about the universe, uh, testable scientific knowledge. And, it's, and this has been verified and only verified in modern times. And it has far-reaching consequences. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, uh, God, it talks about the universe having a beginning. That's the first thing to notice. It did not always exist. There was a moment when it came into existence, in other words. And this, was made a, this is a claim made in contradiction to atheistic philosophy, which historically has always said you know, that the universe had to be everlasting, had to always have existed. Uh, otherwise, they'd have to explain how it was created, how it came into existence. And so this was a, a, a claim, a scientific claim, that the universe came into existence. Um, it also describes this universe as a unified space-time-matter continuum. And we're going to look at both of these claims. Uh, and they've been proven true by modern science. Number one, the origin of the universe. It had a beginning. Uh, it didn't always exist. And Hebrews says, by faith we understand that the worlds, the universe, was framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. They came from the spirit realm, from God. Historically, atheists, uh, philosophers, atheistic philosophies always opposed this idea. They held to the alternative hypothesis, the only alternative one, which is an eternal universe, a self-existent universe that was evolving. Uh, you know, that because they knew that a universe that had a beginning clearly pointed to a creator uh, who brought it into being. Well, which is right? Well, the Bible has been proven to be right. This has been confirmed by modern science. Uh, the, the universe did have a beginning. This is accepted. But even until 1965, there was a battle between the steady-state theory, which believed in an everlasting universe, uh, 
and generally supported by those who didn't believe in God, the advantage it, that there wasn't a creation event. On the other side of the argument was the theory that the universe did have a beginning, a moment of creation, and the battle went on till in 1965 the evidence was so overwhelming that the universe had a beginning, confirming Genesis 1, and now this is absolutely undisputed. Actually, it was resisted because of the philosophical implications. But when this happened, belief in God among physicists and astronomers did increase because it was clear there was a moment of creation. One of them said, we've been climbing this high mountain. We got to the top and we found the theologian was sitting there all the time. You see, because a moment of creation that creates something from nothing requires a creator of cause one who is outside this universe that caused it to come into being. Because the universe cannot create itself. <laughs> that, that is just a silly statement. Because if there is nothingness, nothingness causes nothingness. Nothing can come from nothing. So once you admit there is a moment of creation of this universe, then logic requires there must be a creator who is outside, independent from it, not limited by it. And so if it's a universe of space, time and matter, he must be outside space, not limited by space, omnipresent. He must be outside time. That means he's in eternal, unchanging self-existence. He must be outside matter. That means he must be spirit. And he must have brought this universe into being as an act of his will. That means he must be personal. And so Genesis 1.1 claims that the universe is not eternal. It had a beginning, and this has been clearly confirmed by science. The other thing that this tells us is the nature of the universe. It's a unified triune universe, a space-time-matter continuum, so that each part can only be related to, considered in relation to the other two. Because you see it says, in the beginning, that's the creation of time. And then it says, God created the heavens, that's the creation of space and the earth, and that talks about matter, which as we'll see can also include energy. This describes a single universe consisting of three fundamental quantities, time, space, and matter. They come into being together, such that they only exist in relationship to each other, not separately. So it's not space and time separately, but a space-time continuum. Actually, it's a space-time-matter continuum, and, and each one depends on the other. In the beginning is the creation of time. God created the heavens is the creation of space, and the earth is the creation of mass. So he, we seem to have a triune universe, according to Genesis 1.1, which actually is based on the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are three, yet they're one. And so when he made the universe, that reflects his glory. They, the three only exist in relationship to each other. And so they creates a triune universe that reveals his power and Godhead. As Romans says, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Let's see how the science has confirmed this. Sir Isaac Newton uh, was a genius, a Bible believer, uh, he saw the universe displaying God's order and design, and he greatly moved our understanding forward of how the universe works by his three laws of motion and the law of gravity. But even so, his model still fell short of what Genesis 1-1 describes, a space-time continuum. 
uh, matter continuum where all three are created together and only exist in relationship to each other. He, he, his theory kind of considered each of those three independently and separately as three independent quantities. And it was only with Einstein's theories of relativity that science actually catch up with Genesis 1.1. In 1905, his th special theory, the sp theory of special relativity, unified space and time so that now we talk about a space-time continuum. That was a dramatic uh, insight. And then he went, did his greater theory even, his theory of general relativity from 1907 to 1915. And this theory actually unified space-time with matter through the force of gravity. And, and one description is that matter tells space how to curve and space tells matter how to move. And basically, he was able to integrate in the relativity space-time and matter in, into one, one continuum. And that was an amazing thing. But that is what Genesis 1.1 had held all the time. Einstein's special theory also led to the famous equation E equals mc squared. E is energy, m is mass, and c is the speed of light. 186,000 kilometers a second. Um, and that is a huge number. So when you multiply the mass by the speed of light times the speed of light, you get the energy equivalent. And basically it's saying that mass and energy are equivalent. In other words, you can convert one into the other. Uh, and this is a basis for nuclear power and nuclear bombs. Uh, and this is how the stars shine. See, when all that happens in a nuclear bomb is a little bit of mass is turned into energy, a huge amount of energy. If we converted you into pure energy, it would blow up this earth. That's how much energy is stored within the matter of your body. And Einstein confirmed, you see, that actually energy and mass are two aspects of the same thing, two manifestations of the same thing. And um, so there are still three fundamental qualities, not four. Einstein confirmed that the universe is triune with three fundamentals, space, time, matter, energy. Um, and that reveals our triune God. Because first of all, space that is invisible, that is overall, corresponds to the Father. All things exist in space, as the Son and all things are grounded in the Father. Space cannot be seen, but it is made known through matter, energy, as the Father is made known through the Son. The energy, the mass, corresponds to the sun, who is the light, who's the revelation of God, and who is also manifested in the flesh. So the hypostatic union of Jesus is both God and man is the same as the mass-energy equivalence, that it can be manifested as energy, invisible energy, and also as visible matter. The Son dwells in and reveals the Father, just as mass energy dwells in and reveals space. As the Son does not exist independent from the Father, so matter cannot exist independent from space. Time corresponds to the Holy Spirit. It flows, carrying all with it. And time is united to space and matter, just as the Spirit is united to the Father and Son. None exist independently of each other. And only since Einstein's theories has man realized that the universe is a triune space-time-matter continuum. Uh, it had to come into existence together. It can only exist together. And that's what Genesis 1-1 claims. In the beginning, time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth.
matter. Therefore, truly, the heavens declare the glory of God. The time, space-time matter continuum declares the glory of God. It reveals the Trinity. The third claim we're going to look at is that the universe started in a highly ordered state. Scientifically, that is low entropy. Entropy is the measure of disorder. But the universe, according to the Bible, was created in a highly high degree of order. After the six days of creation, God declared that even by God's standards, he saw everything, and indeed, it was very good. It was highly ordered. It wasn't disordered. It was good. And this has been confirmed by science through the second law of thermodynamics, which says that the universe is gradually winding down. Uh, it's descending into disorder. And therefore, in the past, it was more highly ordered than it is now. We're talking about the universe as a whole. And if we go back far enough in time, it must have been perfectly ordered. Like a watch gradually winding down, at one time in the past, it must have been wound up. It must have started that way. This was a great surprise to scientists when it was discovered. One of the great mysteries of science. Very difficult to explain how the universe started in a highly ordered state. Impossible to explain without God, I would say. If the universe came into, ex into existence by an accident, like a big bang, explosion or whatever, how can it be highly ordered at the beginning? A random big bang is a, means a high degree of randomness and disorder. But yet the Bible's claim uh, has been shown to be true. The, another claim is that God has now finished his work of creation, so no more creation is going on now. He's not feeding anything new into the system, in other words. He's simply sustaining the creation by his word of blessing as he has made it. He is upholding all things by the word of his power. He's holding the universe that he created in existence. He's causing it to function according to its pre-designed laws and attributes, but he's not creating anything new right now. It says in Colossians that all things were created through Christ, and then it says, by him all things consist or are sustained. In Genesis 2, it says that the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work of creation that he'd done, and he rested the seventh day from all the work that he'd done. Then the Lord blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which he had created and made. Notice it's very clear that this Hebrew word for finished is, it's, it's, it's a definite th thing that is being completed. Uh, this creation is finished once and for all, and therefore he is not now doing creative work of that type. And this is confirmed by the first law of thermodynamics. This is the fundamental law of the conservation of mass energy. In other words, no matter or energy is being created or destroyed. Uh, there is no creation going on today, in other words. It's finished, just like the Bible said. Now, this used to be two laws. The conservation of mass, uh, we see that in chemical reactions, that substances react, they turn from one form to another. But always, if you measure the mass before and the ma mass afterwards, it's conserved. Then there's the conservation of energy. Uh, for instance, a falling, something that falls, a ball that falls, for instance, there's a change of energy because it starts with potential energy in the gravity field and as it falls that energy becomes kinetic energy of motion and also heat energy is given off but always if you add up the total energy before and after it's the same this is the conservation of energy uh, so mass and energy 
uh, can change from one form to another, but that it's always conserved. Here's a picture of a, uh, a man gr growing uh, in fatness, and uh, you'll see the reason why, that there's five units of energy going in through his food, uh, but he's not exercising enough, and so four units are going out. But conservation of energy and says that energy's got to go somewhere. Where does it go? Into storage, <laughs> in, into his body. You can't escape that law. Then there was the development of that law through Einstein, E equals mc squared. It became evident there's only actually one law, not two, that total mass energy is conserved. So in nuclear reactions, some mass can be turned into energy. Uh, and so, but then the total mass lost must be the to equivalent to the total energy gained according to Einstein's equation. So the total mass energy is conserved always. So there's nothing being created. The Bible said that. God had finished his work of creation. Neither is there anything being destroyed because God says that when God made the universe, he is now holding it in existence. He's sustaining it in that same form. So you see in the diagram there, the top line from creation um, is, a, is a flat line because that shows that the total energy is conserved. There's no creation going on now, just as Genesis predicts. One, one consequence of this is that the universe does not have the ability to create itself. To create itself would contradict one of its fundamental laws. And so it must have been created in the past and no further creating can be going on now, uh, and no loss of creation is occurring. You have to conclude that it had to be created by something outside itself. It couldn't create itself. Well, the Bible is the only religious book that correctly portrays this first law, because it describes the creator who is no longer creating, but also the creator who is sustaining his creation so that it is not losing energy. Well, we go on to the next claim now, that the universe has fallen from its initial state of perfection into disorder, increasing disorder. Uh, it's as if nature is under a curse. Well, it says that nature is under a curse and it's running down, it's wearing out. Entropy, disorder is increasing. And, and we, we see that around us. Genesis 3 says that, Genesis 3.17. God says, because you've sinned, Adam, cursed is the ground, not just yourself, but the ground. Nature is cursed for your sake. In toil, he describes the effects of that curse. In toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you, and you'll eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you'll eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you'll return. Romans describes it as the creation subjected to futility because of him who subjected it in hope. God, one day God's going to change this. But the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So the, the present heaven and earth are under this curse. It describes it as being wearing out like a garment that eventually will have to be changed. You know, your clothes wear out and then you, ha you have to change them. In the same way, this universe is described that way, that it's wearing out. It will have to be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth, a, a new garment. That's what Revelation 21 talks about. 
It says that in Psalm 102 as well. And Hebrews 1 verse 10 quotes from Psalm 102 and says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak you will fold them up, and they'll be changed. But you, God's different. God's not wearing out. You are the same, and your years will not fail. Isaiah says, the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Jesus said, didn't he? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But when he said heaven and earth will pass away, it's literally heaven and earth are passing away. 1 John 2.17 says the world, this present ordered system, is passing away. It's happening now. That's the second law of thermodynamics. This claim has been confirmed. Yes, the total energy of this universe is conserved, but the useful energy is decreasing all the time. Increasing disorder is setting in. This is a, it seems to be a law of nature. We see it everywhere. It's called the second law of thermodynamics. The total entropy, the degree of disorder, is always increasing. The amount of usable energy and information is decreasing. Even physical processes involve heat loss. Uh, sorry, every physical process involves heat loss, a loss of useful energy, um, a loss of structure, a loss of information. So the universe as a system is like a wind-up clock that is running down towards an ultimate heat death. It, uh, there's a general dissipation. Every time a process goes on, something happens. It eventually fades out as heat. There's dissipation and there's the energy is running down into heat. And so we see that the, the second law of thermodynamics says that all closed systems, including the universe, disin, dis, uh, degenerates from order to disorder. This is an undeniable fact of life. And uh, the Bible is the only religious book that describes this. Entropy means the deterioration of energy in a working system, the, d the degree of disorder in a structured system, the, the loss of information in a program system. And so th the structure, the information, the, the useful energy is always decreasing. That's the, the law. And that's the reason why you can't unscramble an egg. You know, it's easy to scramble an egg or, you, you know, uh, crack a boiled egg. But you try and put it back now, you can't, because once that disorder's happened, it's hard to reverse that process. And naturalistic evolution contradicts the second law, because the second law things, says things go to disorder. And yet evolution tries to tell us that just by themselves, there's this um, information, you see, always de decreases with natural processes of copying and mutation. Yet somehow evolution's telling us it went the other way that the egg was unscrambled. Well, looking at the graph here, you see the curved line starting from creation. It represents the amount of available energy, useful energy, and it's continually decreasing. The total energy stays the same, but the useful energy is always decreasing. And that has consequences. That means, that if you think about it, that the universe must have had a beginning, for otherwise it would have completely run down by now. And also, it must have started with a very high degree of order because it's running down. So it must have been created, as the Bible says, rather than evolving from some disordered state. That breaks the laws of nature.
Now this diagram extrapolates both the laws back in time and it shows by the two laws together if you trace them back in time there must have been a point in in the past when the universe was perfectly ordered zero entropy and this must have been the moment when the universe began the moment of creation because extrapolating before that moment you get to absurdity the laws are broken so the present universe with its laws couldn't have existed before that point. Then it came into being perfectly ordered. So it couldn't have been the process, the product of random accidental processes, but it must have been created by an intelligent and powerful designer, just like the Bible affirms. The two laws, in other words, Genesis 1.1 predicted this. The Bible predicted the two laws of thermodynamics, and they have proved themselves to be true. Our final claim is about the fine-tuning of the universe. Science has now shown that the universe is fine-tuned for life, the Earth especially. You see, Genesis 1 reveals the progression of creation where first the heavens and Earth are formed, and then the Earth is, is formed and it's filled with different kinds of life, and finally, of course, with man, who is the summit of that creation, and then God says, that's good, I've finished. I've done what I wanted to do. And this teaches us that the purpose of the universe itself is to support life, and, and the Earth in particular. And uh, even the stars were made for signs and seasons. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the Earth and who made it, who has established it, who did not create it to be empty, to be vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. And over the last 40 years, science has increasingly shown that the fundamental constants, the relative strengths of the forces and of the masses, the charges, the properties of the fundamental particles of the universe are fine-tuned to such a high degree that if they were changed even a little bit, we'd have a universe, but it couldn't support life. And now science agrees that universe exists within a very narrow range of parameters that are, uh, have to be designed for life to exist. The odds of this are beyond calculation. It's zero. And therefore the universe has all the hallmarks of being designed for purpose for life. And the same is true for the Earth. It's fine-tuned for life. The atmosphere, the magnetic field, the water on the Earth, the distance from the Moon, which causes tides that replenishes the oxygen of the oceans. All of these things have to work together in quite an exact way. The distance we are from the Sun for life to exist. And this was a great surprise for the establishment because it didn't fit well with the naturalistic idea of science that the universe seems to be designed for life, but they couldn't avoid the evidence. It, it confirms the claim of Genesis that God designed this universe, this earth, for life. And the design argument now is very strong. There had to be a designer. And, and the explanations for this are very weak. Maybe they, some say, oh, there's an infinite number of universes, or we got lucky and we just happened to live in the universe that has life in. And uh, it, it's fine-tuned because we exist to observe it, and so therefore it has to be fine-tuned. They can't really explain it. They need an act of desperation to explain. But the obvious explanation is, what God Bible said all the time, there's a God who designed this universe for life. And the more we learn of the complexity of life and what's needed to sustain it, the more we realize how the laws and the, of the universe and the attributes of the earth are perfectly designed for life. And these discoveries of modern science confirm what the Bible said from the beginning. 
science confirmed the amazing biblical claim that God designed this universe for life and for man. No wonder we, the words of the psalmist come to mind. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you, you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, that you designed all of this for him, and the son of man that you care for him?